You're listening to this Sunday's sermon from Hope Church RVA. To find out more about Hope, plan your next visit, or support the work we're doing in Richmond and beyond, visit HopeChurchRVA.com. Well, good morning, everybody, again. It's good to see all of you. I was going to say welcome to the sunshine. It's been a little uh, misty, cloudy, cooler these last few days, but I'm glad for this day and for all of you that are here this morning. Um, You know, we have a lot of students who come a lot of times to 11 o'clock service. They could come to 8, but they choose not to. Um, And the singers have created something called legacy videos. And it's just about a four-minute little testimony about what God's done in our life. I'd encourage you to go on our website and look at some of those. But the reason I mentioned it, and I didn't mention it at the other two services, is that sometimes I think worship is such a powerful thing. I was singing all the poor and powerless, and that word hallelujah has some um, Hebrew um, origins to it. Uh, It speaks of God's name in that word. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, his grace is sufficient for us. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Yahweh. And... um, I think sometimes uh, whether a morning uh, comes towards noon, whether it's Sunday or a Monday through a Friday, our hearts get ramped up. Our minds get filled with stuff. We get preoccupied. And I've said this before, but lately I have been trying to settle my heart and mind throughout the course of the day, not by having a long prayer, because sometimes life gets busy, especially if you're just running around with kids at home or wherever you are. And I just say, the Lord is my shepherd. It becomes a prayer for me. I don't say anything else. The Lord is my shepherd. And what I'm saying in that is, Lord, I I trust that you know all this stuff that I'm thinking. But now I just want to say, the Lord is my shepherd. So as we prepare to come to God's word this morning, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to um, ask for God's strength and God's work in all of our lives this morning through his word. Let's pray. So Jesus, um, the Lord is our shepherd, and we have everything we need. And lead us along paths of righteousness, forgetting about yesterday and receiving your new mercies today. Would you speak to all of us, Lord? Because your word is powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been a little bit more active here, as we get into spring and summer, people are interacting, people are getting out a little bit more right now in our culture, I thought we would go back to some interactive church. We haven't done interactive church in a while, and I just kind of want to interact a little bit with you, meaning uh, you might have to pay a little bit more attention. I'm going to ask you to respond to something by raising your hand. Now, if you're new with us, you're thinking, I'm not raising my hand. I don't care what he said. If you've been with us for a while, I'm not going to expose myself. I'm not going to say, well, this is how I'm feeling. But you know what? Play along. Because sometimes I think these kind of exercise helps us to know that we're not alone. So here's the question I'm going to ask you to respond to. How is life going for you? Now, I'm not just talking about, did somebody say good already? I'm not done playing the game. (laughs) You're not getting out of interactive church. So, not just spiritually, although we know our spiritual and our real life, they got to be melded together. I get all of that. But how is your life going for your everyday life? And so here's the standard I'm going to ask you about. On a scale from 1 to 10, are you a 7 and above or a 6 and below? Now, don't answer yet. I'll have you raise your hands if you're a 7 or above or a 6 and below. But let me describe what a 7 
or above looks like. Seven or better means that you're running on all cylinders. Things are doing pretty well. Now, there may be some cobblestones in the road. Occasionally, there's a few bumps. But generally, you're doing well. You look in the mirror in the morning and say, it's good to be me. I like my job. I'm ready to graduate from high school or college. You spontaneously this week bought a scratch ticket from 7-Eleven and you won $10. And you put it in the offering this morning. You've got three children and you're proud of at least two of them. You're not perfect, but you know God loves you. And he wants you to love others. Now, if you're a six or below, the gas prices really irritate you. (laughs) Your children are teenagers or young adults, and you're no longer cool. Right? Okay, boomer. (laughs) Your cholesterol is too high, but you still like country-style donuts. (laughs) And you feel conflicted. This is not about me. This is about you. (laughs) You're about ready to graduate, but your motto has been, you know, it C's do get degrees. But now you're thinking, I don't know what school I'm going to or if I'll even get a job after college. So you need a lifeline. You need to call a friend, but sometimes you feel like your friend doesn't really get where you're coming from or understand everything that you're feeling. You're pretty sure that God loves you, But your thoughts this weekend or your nagging frustrations make you wonder if God is frustrated with you. All right? So, seven or above, that is uh, running on all cylinders. Six or below, you need a lifeline. Okay? So, you're not alone here. There's going to be people from both perspectives. Seven or above, raise your hand. It's going pretty well. Okay. For those of you, we're going to close in prayer. Lord Jesus. (laughs) Thank you for these people. You can leave now. And for you six or belows, I got a sermon for you. No, I'm just kidding. You know, whether you're seven or above or six and below, here's the point this morning. Welcome to the, welcome to the world of the Apostle Peter. The spontaneous, impetuous, back and forth Peter. Some days you feel like you're walking on water. And other days, you are sinking beneath the waves. But there is hope for this messy life. There is hope for all of us. And there is hope for the before and the after, the inconsistencies in our life. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And let me set it up for you. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days after he was risen from the dead. If you've been in church world and you know the story, yes, Easter we celebrate Jesus was raised from the dead and he didn't right away ascend to heaven to sit on the right hand of God the Father Almighty and give us the Holy Spirit to walk in power in this life. He appeared to the disciples for 40 days. A lot of stuff went on. In fact, at the end of the book of John, it said if all the things that Jesus did were recorded in this book, there wouldn't be enough room for it. Okay, so this is what was going on here. Jesus had been risen from the dead. He was on a beach in Galilee. 
I've been there. Uh, it, it is one of the most moving places in all of Israel to visit because it's not overly commercialized. There's one little chapel over a stone that they believe, over a large boulder actually, they believe that Jesus was preparing the breakfast for his disciples. And it's very simple. There's a beach, there's the water out there, and you think you could picture it. In fact, when I was there, I, I tried to dig really far underneath the sand to get an original rock. <laughs> but it's a beautiful place to be. So Jesus sees his disciples out there fishing. And they're not catching anything. And he said this earlier to them as he was walking with them before he was crucified. Hey, throw your net on the other side. And they did. And the Bible records that about 153 fish, I think it was 153, were in that net. So the the net was almost broken. And John, the Bible calls him John the Beloved, the one that Jesus loved, said, it's the Lord. So spontaneous Peter put on a little garment and jumped out of the boat and swam a hundred yards to shore with a boat following them. And there was breakfast on the beach waiting for them. And this is where we pick it up. John 21, starting with verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These other disciples you see here. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Then Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. David Dwight, our senior pastor, calls this passage full circle redemption. The same place that Jesus first met Peter and said, follow me, is the same place that Jesus said to follow me again, even after Peter had denied him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So I want to speak to you this morning about three things. Our problem, our fix, and our follow. Our problem is this. We are all a combination of belief and doubt in this life. Everything we have been taught in our culture has been transferred to our Christianity. Romans 12 says we have been transformed, we have been conformed, excuse me, conformed to this world. We live in it, and we've been conformed to it. Everything in our culture seems to have been transformed and given into our Christianity, and we've lost the truth. We look good, and we get the girl, right? 
We work harder than anyone else, and we get the raise, and we can buy the boat. And then here's the transfer. We get good, and we will be loved by God. We think our imperfections put more distance between God and us. I'm an amateur at this. I'm an amateur at God's love. I got to keep coming back and back and back again for him to remind me. We think our imperfections put more distance between God and us, but Pastor Dane Ortland says this, our sins don't cause God's love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward even more. The Apostle Paul, who called himself the worst of all sinners. These were real people living in a real time. I'm the worst of all sinners. I was there when we stoned Stephen to death for following Christ before I was converted. I am the worst. I put people to death. This is what he wrote in his after. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas another name for Peter it means rock in the Greek and then to the twelve church never forget your first love the early church knew this they believed in the power of the resurrection and the power of God's love. Never forget your first love. Okay, Pete, you can close now. We kind of get that. We're, we're taught that all the time. Everyone knows that, right? It's a well-worn cliche in Christianity. God loves you. Yeah, I know, but some, yeah, I know, but God loves you. It's a well-worn cliche. Peter Kreef says no. It's the opposite. God's love is not familiar to us. It's earth-shattering and life-changing, and Christians don't realize it. How earth-shattering? You can love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because the depth of God's love sustains you. And will give you the power to do so. C.S. Lewis said, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. When we know that God is not flustered with us, when we know that the God who was born in the mess of a manger is not intimidated by our own mess, when we know our need for saving is why Jesus came, then nothing will be impossible for us. Nothing is impossible for faith that rises from the fire of God's love. Nothing will be impossible for us if we remember our first love. Oh, but Lord, 
When I sin, I, I know you're distant from me. God's love surges forward even more towards you. Jesus was once asked a question to throw him off. Hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, bring me a coin. And there was a drachma coin. Whose image is on it? Well, Caesar. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. Another time, Jesus was asked to pay the tax. Does your rabbi pay the tax? So you know what Jesus said? Hey, Peter, go fishing. By the way, I'm getting to a point here in a minute. Go fishing. And there's going to be the first fish you catch. Go reach in and there's going to be a drachma there. Pay the tax for you and me. Jesus had no money. He was provided for. The only thing that the Bible says that Jesus was rich in was his mercy and his love. Taking a deposit out from his love does not decrease his love. It makes it surge forward even more. And I don't think Christians get this. I think we're amateurs about this. Because I certainly don't. You know, when my wife married me, she knew I was a bit messy. She knew she married an impulsive Peter, not a thoughtful Apostle Paul. So when we first moved to Richmond to do Life at Hope, we were flying out of town somewhere for a week with our children. But I didn't want to leave a car at the airport. You know, I wanted to save a little money. So we got a ride to the airport from a friend with our three, with our three children, but we didn't have a ride home. So when we landed back in Richmond, Meg said, how are we getting home? Do you know what I said? I figured we'd see somebody we knew and they'd give us a ride. I mean, RBA is not that big. This is towards the beginning of Hope, about 22 years ago. I'm a pretty popular guy. Somebody's going to give me a ride home. So my loving wife, married to impulsive Peter, said, oh, you mean somebody with a Suburban or a seven-passenger van with a car seat is going to be here by random chance and bring us home? You know what I had to do? I had to pay $40 for a cab. <laughs> and I had to go all the way home to get our minivan, and I left my wife and three children at the airport. <laughs> but you know what's so great about all that? <laughs> We're still married. <laughs> Let me tell you about the journey of Peter with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, you'll never go to the cross. I won't let that happen to you. Peter said, I can walk on water, but then got distracted by the storm around him and sank beneath the waves. Peter said to Jesus, no, I will never deny you. You are my best friend. And he denied him three times. Peter said, hey, let's go fishing. This thing may be over. We haven't seen Jesus in a while after he was resurrected from the dead. And he caught nothing. And then he saw Jesus, and Peter jumped out of the boat. After they caught all these fish, left his friends to, to gather them all and row that boat in, and he just swam 100 yards to shore. 
leaving his friends behind. Peter was a mess. He was both under six and over seven, depending on what day you caught him. He was impulsive. But I've got to believe that Jesus loved his passion. Peter spent three years with Jesus. When you spend three years with anybody, sleeping overnight, eating meals with them, you get to know them real quick. Some of our students say, you get to know somebody really quick on a weekend. Three years, most of the time in the presence of Jesus. And he knew the hard teachings of Jesus. He knew when Jesus said to the Pharisee, you whitewashed tombs, clean first the inside and then the outside will be clean. You're making yourself look good, but inside you're full of greed and pride. Peter said, not me, not me. No, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. What was coming out of his heart? See, Peter knew that kind of a teaching. He could have expected to be condemned. Peter knew he had filled Jesus, but Peter also knew about the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. So he jumped out of a boat and he swam 100 yards to shore and was met with breakfast on the beach. Someone told me this week that C.S. Lewis said, eternity looks like breakfast on the beach with Jesus. It's like first watch with Jesus. With the best days always before us, surrounded by beauty and love. You know, the Garden of Eden was a real place. The Bible says he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth and restore this world. The beauty you see today, the things that are in perfection today, the sunrise, the sun, all of it, we will see in eternity. I think it's time for the church to go for a morning swim again. To come to Jesus You see, because nothing is impossible for the faith that rises from the fire of God's love for us. Never forget your first love. But I do think we have a problem. There is a power shortage in our church. There is a power shortage in my life. The preoccupations, the worry, the difficulties have overloaded our circuits. And we have forgotten our first love. But remember, eternity is breakfast with Jesus. The early church, the Acts church, lived in the power of the resurrection and of God's love. They were of one soul and of one mind. And you know what happens when people are of one soul and one mind living in the power of the resurrection and in the power of God's love? The Bible says that Thousands were added to the church's number every day. And why? Because they were unified, not around politics, not around their problems. They were unified by one love, the the love God has for them and their love for God. They were of one mind and of one spirit. And it transformed the world. The book of Acts says that Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. And it's not lost on me symbolically that we're still within 40 days of our celebration of Easter Sunday. 
Could we find a power of one heart and one soul again this morning, church? Could we say, I know Jesus is here. I know he loves me. But Lord, symbolically, I pray that I could relive in his power again and in the assurance of his love for me. Eberhard Arnold, a German pastor, teacher, and Nazi dissident, said this, in Jesus' resurrected presence, the invisible kingdom of God has become a visible reality. The word has taken shape, and love has become real. I did a little research on this guy, and Arnold died from an injury suffered while protecting his flock from the Nazis. Arnold took care of his sheep. He believed that nothing is impossible for faith that rises from the fire of love. So, it doesn't matter if Arnold believed that. It doesn't matter if we believe that. It doesn't matter if somebody in history believed that. What really matters for the transformation of the church is, do we, church, believe that? Do we believe that nothing will be impossible for the faith that comes out of the fires of God's love for us. We are all a combination of belief and doubt like Peter. But it's the reassurance of God's great love and mercy that can tip the scales from doubt to faith, even in the storms, even in the suffering. It's time to jump out of the boat and swim to the shore again. There is breakfast waiting on the beach for all of us who believe. So our fix is believing our first love. And we love others because Christ loved us. Ortland and Gentle and Lowly writes this. Your gentleness treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your heavenly father handles you. When I first read that, tears came to my eyes. Because that's so hard for me to believe. Your gentlest treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your heavenly father handles you. His tenderness towards you outstrips what you are even capable of towards yourself. When Jesus met Peter on the beach, he strikingly used his full name. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And you know that when your full name was used growing up, sometimes that meant you were in trouble. But when somebody uses your full name, it reminds you who you are and where you came from. We don't behave like that. And he wanted to remind Peter who he was. These names were given to you out of love from somebody. A first, a middle that might be after a relative, somebody that was dear to them. And your last. Peter, I'm well. It's not the dog food. Kyle Douglas Friedman. Our young worship leader this morning, Karis Gabrielle Napier. What's your name? Your full name. Jesus looks at you and says, don't forget your first love. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus was not trying to discipline Peter when he used his full name. He was reminding Peter of his first love that was right in front of him. 
Our first love is the fountainhead of all of our other loves. The Apostle Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We can comfort others because of the comfort we received. I take that to mean that we take care of the sheep God has called us to when we know that we have been taken care of, when we know how loved we are. So right now I'm talking to a friend who is in hospice. And three years ago I baptized her in the cold October waters in the James River. She wanted to feel her faith deep in her bones. My friend texted me this week and wants us to do her memorial at Hope. And you know what she said to me the first time we talked? I love you. I didn't know this saint well at the time, but she said, I love you. Not love you or some other guarded way of saying it. She said, I love you. And it's a way that we end all of our calls now. I love you. I love you too. We are united by our love for Christ and his love for us. We believe it deep in our bones. And nothing will be impossible for the faith that rises from the fire of love. Jesus says to all of us this morning, do you love me? Then do the follow thing. Follow me and take care of my sheep. This is the life of the before and after. We live in starts and stops. We chase, but we're chasing after what? We leave the family at the airport without a ride home. But now we can live in full circle redemption and trust in the love of Jesus. We trust even when we're six or below. Shauna Nequist writes in her book, I guess I haven't learned that yet. She says, self-compassion is letting yourself off the hook. Letting yourself be human and flawed and also amazing. It's giving yourself credit for showing up instead of beating yourself up for taking so long to get there. We find the courage to change and move forward when we feel love. There is nothing that gets us stuck more than unresolved guilt and shame. There is nothing that brings insecurity to our steps and makes our eyes go down or not look at a person than past guilt or shame. So let's try to get unstuck this morning, church. The apostle Peter took a long time to get there, just like it's taken some of us. But then he jumped out of the boat and went swimming to breakfast, and he went swimming into the arms of love. And then Jesus says, follow me. So on this road of other, that we're on with others, I pray that we would take care of others as Christ has taken care of us. Let us feed others as Jesus has fed us. Let us bring words of healing to people as God has brought healing to us. Let's, close, let's follow close enough to Jesus that the dust from his sandals in Palestine get on the clothes that we wear, dusty with the love of Christ. And let's say together, we may fall. In fact, I know I'm going to fall, but I will always follow. And nothing is impossible for me. Nothing is impossible for the church of first love. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray.
So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray that you would set up your kingdom of love in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.